editor of FEI Daily, and welcome to Balance Sheet, a podcast all about finding balance and inspiration in our professional and personal lives. I'll speak with career coaches, executives, startup founders, and others to learn all about how we can be more present and purposeful at work and at home. Searching for a job can be incredibly stressful and time-consuming. It's been some time since I myself looked for a new role, so I wanted to connect with an expert on hiring and career management to hear his tips for job seekers in 2020. Paul McDonald is Senior Executive Director at Robert Half, which specializes in placement of professionals in the accounting and finance, technology, legal, creative, and administrative fields. He writes and speaks frequently on hiring, workplace, and career management topics. In this episode of Balance Sheet, I spoke with Paul about how job seeking is different when you've reached the C-suite and some of the worst LinkedIn mistakes he's seen. I hope you enjoy the discussion. So I want to jump right in and ask you how job seeking is different at the C-suite level. Yeah, it's it's an interesting question, Olivia. And um, quite frankly, when I think about executives um, and how they go about looking for um, new opportunities versus someone right off campus or maybe two or three years into their career, there are some distinct differences. And there's also some mistakes that I see that these C-suite or executives are making. But what I um, what I have found is that the executives are um, um, maybe start with the mistakes first, um, you know, go, go right to it, that they're too assumptive um, and strong in the wording on their cover letter or in the resume. Hmm. They, they might come right out and just get really bold. And, you know, again, they're confident. They're confident. If they've been successful, they've, they're confident. If they've um, had some good results in their career, they should be confident. But you have to remember that the first line of defense in many corporations that are looking for people could be a recruiter or a senior HR executive. And those senior HR executives are, are, are there to screen. They wanna make sure that they have the right person. So. Um, I see overconfidence or arrogance in the written word might be um, a, a, a mistake. Hmm. Number number two, I would say, is a mistake that I see is that um, the types of uh, resumes that I, I see and have seen for many years are not customized. The cover letters not customized to the job opportunity. Now I know that that sounds you know you can't have a resume for every occasion, but if it's really something that you've sought out and there's an opening that you've heard about, there's a there's a way to talk to find out about the culture of the organization, the objective uh, of of the um, functional role that you're applying for, um, the the people that you'd be working with. You can find all that out today. Day, usually through um, the you know LinkedIn or just doing research on the internet or through your own network. Right. Um, so I encourage you to at least, at the very least, customize that um, that cover letter. Uh, three, 
the type of networking that a lot of executives are doing today is different than what was 10 or 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. But what I mean by that is um, there is no online persona by a lot of executives that I see. Uh, there's been no speaking opportunities um, or, or speaking engagements that the executives have done. There's been no involvement, for instance, in the FEI or other organizations to get you out there. So it's online networking that's necessary and it's in-person right. um, networking. It used to be that eh, if you attended um, a meeting, um, if you attended lunches, uh, you know, you, you attended your alumni association, that was good enough. Th- those are all important things to do. Don't get me wrong. You, you must do those. But it's also um, necessary to have speaking engagements volu- uh, and then also online persona, mm-hmm. LinkedIn, um, Twitter, um, to name just two would be something. Be a contributor um, um, and writing about a topic, you know, all the standards that are changing today, some expertise that you might have, either a hard skill or a soft skill that you're trying to, um, you know, talk about some regulatory changes. Those are things that I see right off the top of my head, Olivia, that are mistakes. So turn those into opportunities. Make sure that you're customizing your um, your offer, your um, cover letter. Make sure that you're Accentual, you're not coming off as arrogant um, in, in the way that you're referring to yourself or the way you um, are maybe be too demanding in the way that you're asking or demanding an interview. Um, you know, bold is okay, but overconfidence is, uh, you know, not going to make it through the process. Yeah, it's a thin uh, line. <laughs> yeah, it really is. So you mentioned, you know, having an online presence using Twitter and and then also networking online. So I know that, you know, that's a that's a big way that interviewing and just job seeking in general has changed. Um, What are some other observations that you have about how the interview process has changed over the last 10 years? Well, it's um, I think that when you look at the interview process itself, it's. It is about, you know, making it through the first line and it's making it through that human resource uh, executive that probably is going, you know, most likely going to do the screening for someone at the C-suite. So you're speaking to another, you know, senior person, however, they're in HR. Uh, They're making sure that you're a cultural fit. They're making sure that you've got the soft skills. Um, they're making sure that you're um, got the functional expertise, even though they're not a functional expert. Um, that that part really hasn't changed. Um, what has changed is maybe some of the questions um, it, that they're going to be asking could be a little more behavioral than mm-hmm. they were, you know, one or two decades ago, um, and. The other thing that's changed is don't assume that they don't have a say. I think that's that's where I've seen a mistake being being made in in the past is that you know a CFO goes in for an interview, they meet with the second 
um, most senior HR um, person within the company. They assume that this person's just a gatekeeper. Right. They answer yes, no. They're not that prepared. They haven't done the um, research like they should. They're being a little assumptive. Maybe they're being condescending. Um, that's not good to do. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's really not good to do. Not taking you, that first line seriously. You have to take the first line seriously. Mm-hmm. Um, you can't assume that you have a relationship just because you have a relationship with the CEO that you're going to ultimately be working for if you get the job. You can't assume that nobody else is important. Right. And I've seen I've seen this um, mistake being made in the past, and you might make it to the CEO interview because you do have a relationship. But when it comes down to scorecarding um, and everybody is at the table, that HR executive might, you know, be the the, the vote that you don't get mm-hmm. that, that costs you the job. And even when I, I remember back when I was interviewing, you know, the importance of obviously just being polite and nice to everybody that you encounter in, you know, at the company. So whether that's the person at the front desk, right, or um, if somebody's, you know, in the room that you're interviewing in before you uh, enter and you're interacting with them, because you just don't know. <laughs> of course, you should be nice to everybody, but you also don't know who has what role. And I've even heard of you know, executives pretending to be the person at the front desk, right? To just see how you behave when you walk in the door. And um, I don't know what you think of that, but. um, Oh, uh, let me, let me add a story. (laughs) You know, this is something. And in fact, it was um, at one point in my career, I I know exactly where I was located, but I'm not going to name cities or states where I was um, at the time with Robert Half. But I was, um, I remember getting the um, CFO on the, it was, there was a controller that was interviewing Mm. the the controller, um, made it in to the, uh, you know, for the, for the first interview and it was going to be first and only, um, you know, make it through a full day of interviews. They didn't treat the first person and the second person that they met with care. Mm-hmm. To your to your point, Olivia, the security guard and the um, receptionist. The security guard um, was actually called by the CFO, and the receptionist weighed in also with the CFO their opinion because they were asked by the CFO. What did you think? Mm-hmm. They had been there 25 years, um, right. each each of them, and they were trusted. And to your point, treat everybody in the right manner. Yeah. Treat, yeah. you never know who has a vote. And that costs that controller the job. Right. Uh, you know, just because of that. And I, I learned that a long time ago. I was president of the accounting society, business um, society at university. And we had an executive come, very successful um, CEO of a Fortune 500 company. And he treated everybody on campus that day with care and a, a sense of humility that never left mm-hmm. me personally. So um, sage advice from a number of people and experience that I've had that you know, just treat everybody the, the right way. Yeah, absolutely. It should, <laughs> that should, shouldn't be a hard thing to, uh, to do, but unfortunately at, it is. And it, it maybe even harder, you know, at that level, at that C-suite level, you talked a little bit about overconfidence and arrogance and 
So it's important to go into those situations with some humility, right? And kind of check yourself a little bit. Um, So when you make it past that, you know, resume stage, you've got your resume right. um, And and you've mentioned a couple, but what are some other interviewing mistakes that you see even seasoned executives make? They... Again, going back to doing the homework on what some of the issues are that the company's facing, right? And, you know, and 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 be able to speak to how you solved those in your career. Mm-hmm. Um, for instance, there's there you know CFOs are being you know they're they're strategic advisors today, and you know there's depending upon the size of the organization, some of the CFOs are all you know they're uh, strategic advisors as well as tech. And, you know, depending on how strong the accounting department, finance departments are. But say it's a midsize to to larger company um, and you're going in, um, be able to speak to the issues. Business transformation, technology transformation is a big one. What have you done? How have you brought it in on on time and under budget? What were some of the um, ways that you got it um, accomplished? Right. Um, How have you um, met the compliance and regulatory environment that you're facing uh, today? And be able to speak to that. Um, what are some of the tactics um, that you helped st- strategically move that your organizations in the past forward to move it through this? If you haven't done th- the specific issue, then you should be looking at um, doing your research before you go in on how you would solve it and how you would use trusted advisors, how would you use subject matter experts to help you through that? Mm. Um, And then ask, and maybe find out who's on staff, if you can, and what departments are on um, present already that might have some expertise to help you move through those um, those issues. Um, A big one today is, that's facing all boardrooms right now, are are, um, staffing, you know, engaging staff, upskilling, retention. So speak about the people issue, but also um, in, in addition to that, there could be cultural um, challenges. You know, and, and if you don't have it today, what would be the cultural issue that could be faced, and how have you moved companies through the or you know those those challenges? I think doing the research on what's important to board members today, or, you know, when you board of directors, and there's a ton of being published today on, you know, is it culture, is it retention staff, um, attraction, technology, what's important to boards and how have you participated in solving those or meeting those challenges with your employers? Mm -hmm. That's, that's key. Yeah. That's a great point. Just curious about, you know, interviewing at the C level, because obviously I'm, I'm not there. How many rounds of interviews are they looking at? Like how many levels can they expect to kind of go through in your experience? It's all over the board. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, you know, if you're dealing with an executive search um, firm, if you're dealing with senior level recruiters, they'll be able to advise you on what the expectations are. So, you know, in general, in general, you know, you're going in cold and it's not an executive search, but, you know, you've heard of this opening and you networked in. Mm-hmm. Um you might expect, you know, first line interview with with human resources. 
that could be um, video, that could be telephonic, that could be in person. Um, then it's uh, meeting the individual that you'd be working for in addition to some other um, probably peers that you would interface with, that you would be collaborating with, that you'd be part of the, um, you know, the, the, the team, if you will, the executive mm -hmm. team. Um, then it's um, most likely uh, the, a board member or two um, that you'd be interfacing with. Assuming it's a CFO, you'd be um, speaking to the, to the chair of the finance and audit committee. Um, and uh, again, with the, um, the CEO, if that's who you'd be reporting to, maybe another board member. Uh, and, you know, then there could be, you know, the final offer uh, meeting right. that could come, you know, and be in person. So well, I don't know if that's four or five, um, not out of the question. Sometimes it's three, depending upon the size of the organization and the, the nimbleness of the executive team. Right. And if, if the expectation is that you were to physically be there for all of those interviews, do you think it's ever appropriate to push back? And I don't want to say push back, but, you know, ask if, if perhaps one of them could be over the phone or via Skype, or is that inappropriate? Well, I think that, um, you know, it's not in a, it, it, it's very acceptable to try and, you know, if you're engaged with, with your employer right now, everyone's right. busy, everyone's busy. So, you know, if again, done the right way, not in a too demanding way, um, yeah, it's not inappropriate at mm -hmm. all mm -hmm. to ask for some flexibility. Yeah, because that's a lot. Uh, as you said, if you're engaged with your current employer, that's a lot of time away. Right. Hard to navigate that. So you mentioned cultural issues before, and I, I want to kind of look at the flip side where, you know, you're um, hiring for a leadership role. Um, and, you know, culture is really important. So I want to know what are some of the important questions to ask from the interviewer perspective um, to get a sense of if the interviewee is going to be a good cultural fit for the company? Well, you can find out again, I'll, I'll lean on what's available in the, um, in the internet world. Um, you can find a lot out about a corporation and culture by just doing a little research on some websites. So right. I would say um, to anyone who's interviewing, do your research in advance. It doesn't take time, much time to go in and do that research. Um, then also you may have hired somebody from that corporation in the past if you're in human resources and you're uh, going to be interviewing this person. Mm -hmm. So uh, go back to those notes. Mm. Maybe go back to that person without you know breaking confidentiality um, and find out a little bit more about the, um, the company. Right, um, right. And then, so then you're prepared. And then the types of questions to try and probe is, you know, again, those open-ended questions of, tell me about what the culture, um, you know, journey has been like over the past three to five years at your organization. Mm -hmm. what, what have you done to impact it? Um, is culture, an, a, you know, a, within the, the top three or four objectives that you have as a C-suite executive? And as, how does the board feel about 
where you're putting it in terms of the priority. Right. Tell me a little bit more about that. I, you know, probing questions like that, in addition to the research that you've done, probably tell you a lot um, on how that person's been affecting and managing. Again, culture doesn't move like uh, a sports car. Hmm. It's more like a um, ocean liner. It, <laughs> it moves slowly. It move. It's not nimble. But it takes a, a, a quite a while to move the needle and increase the culture. So there's, you know, executive culture, mid-level uh, management, right down to first line. And you can gauge that, you know, things that you'd be looking for. Are they doing surveys? Hmm. You know, are they doing pulse surveys? Are they, are they doing annual surveys? Um, just to get the tone. Are they anonymous um, to get the tone um, and the temperature of what's going on? And there's a lot you can um, probe into. And we could, you know, there's studies done on this, but those are just a few ideas. Mm-hmm. So... When it comes to, I know that in-person networking is still really important, but obviously online networking is is hugely important today too. And I'm sure you see a ton of LinkedIn mistakes. So I want to know what some of those are. And if you have some LinkedIn tips, um, I'll just say personally, I'm terrible with LinkedIn. I'm, I know that I'm not using it um, the way that I should. Uh, I am a writer. And so I should be probably promoting the content <laughs> that I'm putting out there on LinkedIn. And I don't. And I know that's a mistake. But I want to hear some other mistakes that I'm probably making um, and some things that uh, people, especially at the C level, um, should be doing with their LinkedIn profiles and just with their LinkedIn activity. Yeah. I would say that um, I gave a presentation a number of years ago and I asked the, the audience of CFOs um, how many were on Twitter. Um, one hand went up out of about 60 people. Um, and this this was four years ago. Wow. And how, and then how many people are um, on LinkedIn and about a third of the um, audience raised their hand. That's even um, less than I would expect. Yeah, well, things have changed in four years. That was four years ago. So yeah. um, I would just say, first of all, have a LinkedIn profile, have a good headshot, um, have a good, you know, opening statement of, of who you are, um, what you've done, you know, fill out, fill out a profile, um, <laughs> number one. Link in to people that you know. Um, send the invites. Create a, um, an online persona. That's number one. Okay. Uh, number two, uh, make sure that you update it, mm-hmm. and make sure that it's um, it's not a, a you know a long story, but it doesn't leave things out. It shows that you know the positions you've had, what you've accomplished what board positions you might have, both voluntary and, um, you know, maybe there's some paid boards that you have in there, uh, what uh, speaking engagements you've done, or, uh, and then promote yourself. What didn't speak, where are you, what conferences are you going to? Or if you're going to the FEI summit um, at the Palmer House in Chicago in May, put that, you know, good to see, looking forward to um, seeing my colleagues there um, and networking. Um, when you're in an, at the summit, for instance, and you're, spe- you're listening to um, the keynote, 
write a comment in there, mm-hmm. okay, that would go to LinkedIn and, and, and put it out on Twitter. You'd be surprised at what that does. Um, you see an article in the Times or in the Wall Street Journal. Um, you, even though you didn't write it, make a comment on it. It's one thing to like it. It's another thing to comment, like and comment. Um, it's amazing what it does when you make the comment. Don't be bashful with it, um, but don't be controversial either. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would say that would be, um, you know, steps number one. And then number the other thing is don't, I heard someone say once, and I don't see it very often, but people write their LinkedIn profile in the third person. Mm. <laughs> um, make it yours, own it. You know, it's first person. Um, so I would say those are just a few quick tips. And yeah. there's, and, and, and by the way, there's a ton that's been written on LinkedIn profiles that you can, that's self-serve. It just takes a little time, but once you get it moving, it, um, it, it it's part of your daily networking or weekly networking. You know, could be weekend work I so many times. And then there's also tools to load up articles if you've published something that you can load it up at night um, for, you know, to send it out at night. And it's easy to do. I, I'm just being lazy. <laughs> Yeah, well, you got a time block and make sure it's part of your um, your networking time. Yeah, that's a good point. And and so networking in person is can be very challenging for people. I know, you know, for me, I consider myself to be a pretty confident person, but I I still can find networking to be pretty awkward. Um, so what advice do you give to, you know, job seekers who need to network, but maybe are a little more introverted, um, or just, just find the, you know, the whole process uncomfortable? I don't know if you can't see me smiling, but I'm smiling ear to ear. Um, because this is this is a question I get asked often, and um, I'll speak about it in the, in the first person. Um, I I'm not an, an extrovert um, by nature. I you know I st- I studied accounting in school. I started as an auditor. I learned um, to be. Um, I learned how to speak. from a number of people I observed. Hmm. I always try. And so I would advise everybody play to your weakness, play, you know, just like anything you have to practice, practice, practice. If you don't like speaking in front of a group and you know, you haven't, um, you haven't spoken in front of a group practice, but do it and then step out of your comfort zone. If you don't like going to networking events um, and and going up and and you'll show up when the speaker's about ready to um, speak as opposed to 45 minutes early um, to shake hands and and, um, say hello, show up 45 minutes early, Mm -hmm. put put yourself out there. Don't always go to the people that you um, know. Um, I'm so guilty of these things. (laughs) Well, okay. I'm just, you know, I'm I'm not pointing fingers, but I'm I'm, I'm sharing my experience because this is what I've learned over the years um, to go up to the person who isn't speaking um, to somebody, Mm -hmm. to go up to the um, group of two people that look like they're having a a conversation and said, do you mind if I I, I join in? Um, You know, breaking the ice is the hardest thing to do. But once you get in there, you're going to relate because 
specifically if you go to networking events that are, you know, they could be your your uni- the university you went to, you have something in common. You have something in common with other um, chief financial officers if you go to an FEI um, chapter meeting mm-hmm. or an event. Um, you, you have things in common. Um, so that's the icebreaker right there, but it's, you know, putting yourself out there. And um, I'll just say practice. Yeah. It, it, it takes the ability to step out of your comfort zone. I speak to this often um, to um, to college students, but it's amazing. Um, these college students then get into a rut and don't practice it after they get out into their career and they get stale. Mm-hmm. So it's something that you have to stay on top of. And just a few words of wisdom, but um, I wasn't that person, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I always took the opportunity to do something in my life that would allow me to flex that muscle and to get in better shape as it related to networking and speaking and things of that nature. Yeah, because it's still really important. I mean, we spend so much time on our phones and, you know, communicating by email and uh, it's still really, really important to be able to connect with people, um, whether you're a job seeker or not. Well, as I say to individuals, um, if you have a great online network, um, that's that's wonderful. Mm-hmm. But what do you what do you do with it when you get in person? If you're the introvert and you're going to stand in the corner, it's your opportunity to maximize that online network by um, speaking to people mm-hmm. and sharing your wisdom in person. You can only get so much through online. Yes, there's YouTube. Yes, there's a podcast like this. Um, <laughs> But it's not the same as being in person. No. So um, getting in there and um, and speaking with people and talking about issues um, with with an open mind and back to that humility piece. Show humility. Don't show too much arrogance. But you know we're all confident, right? We know our stuff with with the, especially the C suite when mm-hmm. you've been in the in your career for so long. But there's. Um, in leadership, you're going to need these skills. And back to the point I think you, you, you just spoke about is, you know, they're looking for people that can be leaders at all levels. Right. Can you can you connect with first line, mid-level, executive and board level? Can you connect to the outside world if you're a spokesperson? You know, um, lessons that I've learned um, by being a spokesperson, connecting with the outside world. It's not just internal. If you're publicly traded, they're looking for individuals that connect with the investment community. Um, you know, uh, and also you're, you're attracting individuals by being present uh, in the um in those networking events. So there's just so many um, attributes that we could talk about, but that just touches on the importance of it at all levels in order to be a a well-rounded CFO. Mm -hmm. So Paul, the last question that I want to ask you is a little bit silly, but I've read a little bit about these resumes that I'll say the a younger generation is is putting together and including some bright colors and pictures and emojis even. I don't know if you've encountered any resumes like that, but I want to know your your thoughts. If, is this the direction that resumes are going? I would say it depends on the function. Mm-hmm. 
um, you know, I, I, I review a lot of resumes. I, you know, it, I started my career recruiting for finance and accounting, but I've been involved with finance and accounting, technology, creative marketing types, um, legal and senior administrative types. Um, I've seen a lot of different resumes. When I first started um, looking at resumes in the creative and marketing area, I saw I saw some things I never would would have dreamed. Uh, <laughs> I would say, uh, but you know, but that's the norm today mm-hmm. in in that um, in that func- in those functional areas. So um, if someone's coming out of a, a, a premier art school, um, you know I think of San Francisco Art Institute or Pratt um, as two you know premier art schools, um, and those people have you know creativity. Uh, they're going to show that, but that's what they're being hired for. Um, they, they have to be creative. So, uh, you know, I don't know if I've seen emojis, um, but I've seen, um, you know, portfolios. I've seen um, different colored um, photos. I've seen um, LinkedIn profiles that I never thought I'd see um, and photos. But, but quite frankly, that's the norm in that um, functional area. Now, let's talk about finance, accounting, technology. No, I don't see that, um, quite frankly, um, as being the norm. So every functional area has um, has their standards. Um, I've seen mainly in finance and accounting, um, analytical people, uh, technology people. It's you know there's standards out there, and I don't see it the uh, you know the same as a creative person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's fair enough. That's fair. Okay, Paul. So I'm hoping that you can share a podcast that you're really enjoying right now with uh, me and and our listeners. Yes, that um, right now I, I've been a subscriber to Future Proof with Bill Sheridan and the Business Learning Institute. I've been a subscriber for a while, and there's a number of most recent um, podcasts that I've been listening to. It's a it comes out. I think it's weekly that is published, but uh, you know the, the latest one is Don't Panic: The Questions You Need to Ask Yourself About Coronavirus. And with all the panic that's going on right now and the disruption in business, people working remotely, there's some good tips here um, about the questions you need to ask yourself of, you know, about coronavirus. There's good information here on this podcast with Bill Sheridan and others. But uh, I'll be honest with you, you have to filter in the general public what's going on with other information that uh, I'm getting. Not on this podcast. This is a good one. Good information from Bill and the team. So I just thought I'd mention that. Okay, great. Yeah, that's very helpful because there is a lot of, unfortunately, there is a lot of misinformation out there. And so um, I think... I am, am grateful and, and everyone listening will be grateful for that kind of vote of confidence. Yes, it's, right. um, you know, there's, there's a ton of information that's available, um, you know, for us in, in every area of our lives. But from uh, for right now, that seems to be a good area for me to go to get good information. Great. Well, thank you again, Paul. You're welcome. Thank you. 